folks welcome back to another episode of the dirty decibels podcast my name is jeff and uh rounding out the season here uh, i think we just got maybe uh, one more episode left after this but tonight i am joined by my good friend annalise stetner she's joining me from providence rhode island and uh she is a master mixologist um <laughs> creator of all things craft cocktails and uh and uh, she's also gotten into a whole bunch of diy uh baking baked goods and uh, I'm super stoked to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Well, I've I've tasted some of the creations you've made, and that's the only words that I can use. So, thank you. <laughs> how is uh, how is things down in down in Providence, Rhode Island? Things are good. Um, it's nice to be like finally getting back to some sort of a normal after COVID. I didn't work for a really, really long time. Yeah. Um, I'm finally just about to like really dive back into it. So good. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So much of like the podcast. Well, I mean, you know, this podcast is about art and this year it's been such an interesting, like it's been a lot of interesting conversations with people who make art because of COVID and like, yeah. One of one of the major things that I thought I haven't talked about on the show really yet is the art of food and beverage, which is in every sense of the word an art and is is so crucial to uh, like not only how we like enjoy ourselves and communicate with each other and all that stuff, but it's also a, a huge sector of life that's been in, in, impacted by the pandemic in a yeah. really profound way, just like <laughs> music and you know music and and art and filmmaking and everything else that has felt the effects of of this pandemic and uh and you know first and foremost i think looking at the service industry and how this has affected the service industry is like so relevant and so important to like help people understand you know yeah i mean i it's it'll probably never be the same if i'm being honest um it's crazy to to hear about, especially living in Providence, where there's such a really dense food and beverage scene here, um, mostly because of Johnson and Wales, one of the leading culinary institutes in America. So there's tons of people that are coming out of Johnson and Wales and staying in Providence and 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 uh, working at bars and restaurants around here, starting their own bars and restaurants. Um, so it's a pretty pretty big scene, but it's pretty tight. So it's tough to see a lot of places that I loved struggle or, or some of them have even gone under. Um, and now as Rhode Island's reopening, a lot of places are strapped for staff, uh, much like the rest of America. Yeah. Um, hurting right now. Everyone's understaffed. So it's tough, but we're getting there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of take a really long time for the, for the industry to like, come close to what you would call recovering from from this yeah definitely definitely i feel like it's almost kind of been like a boom like a sort of like a slingshot effect or whatever like where 
everything swung one way where everything closed down and it's like now it, you know it's sort of uh, to be expected i would think that it's going to be hard to find people to just come back right away yeah a lot of people have moved on and a lot of people um are still looking for other outlets to go down because not only was this a tough industry to like do before the pandemic but now there's added risk granted like most people are um vaccinated and whatnot now but you're dealing i personally thankfully am not dealing with this because uh we're just lucky at tiny bar but um you know a lot of people are coming back uh who maybe people who have never worked in the service industry before that are impatient um, and rude with the staff because it's understaffed and it's going to take longer for you to get your, to get service. Right. Um, so, you know, you're dealing with angry customers a lot of the time and right. not a lot of money. And that just brings it back to like the wage inequality in, in the U S which is a whole nother conversation, but you know, you can't expect people to work for $2 an hour and wear a mask and eat their lunch over a trash can on a 12 hour shift uh, right. when they go do something else that's easier and make more money and not be berated. So yeah, yeah for sure. Tough. I think this pandemic has like really shown a spotlight on the fact that the way that we like work pay in the service industry is so backwards compared to so many other countries that that it's this tipped base work that has a lower pay rate than all the other minimum you know the right the rest of minimum wage even or or most other places and it's um it's kind of i i hope at least some people have started to become more aware of that now you know yeah i agree <laughs> i it's a it, it's like a tough it's a tough thing to like really have a true opinion on because i guess i, I think given the choice I would still rather work for tip work for tipped wages. I make more doing that. Well, and it's oh, of course, yeah. And because I I care about what I do and I have passion for the industry. Um, and and generally, obviously, there's a gamble there when you're working tipped wages. But generally, I do rather well for myself. I think it falls more on the employer um, than it does like the government making a minimum wage for it or whatever. You know. Yeah. Um, Employers can can provide they it's not impossible to provide health care um, or just take care of your staff, you know, provide a minimum. You know, you're going to have those nights where you get rocked all night, you're six deep and you walk with rent. For the month in one night, that's not that's not uncommon. However, there are still going to be nights where you get busted and. And people maybe don't tip at all on some of their tabs. Maybe the weather's bad and it's just really slow. Maybe it's a post-holiday weekend and nobody's going out this week because they all went out last week and you still have to pay your bills. So at that point, um, it really turns to the employer um, in order to keep good staff, you know, give a guarantee. Say, you know, if you, if you aren't going to make enough money on tips to make it worth it, I'll cover it for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. Like just ways to kind of look at it going forward and be like, okay, like we want to make it worth your while to like stay here and work here and, and try to keep everybody better protected. Should something like this ever happen, God forbid happen again too. Exactly. You know? And 
how you're going to keep your staff happy and keep good people around. You know, the service industry has tons of people that it's like a rotating door at a lot of different restaurants. I've been working in bars and restaurants since I was 14. So 16 years, I've worked in a lot of different places. Um, some of them for like, not very long at all for one reason or another. Um, and you know, if you make it good for your staff, your, your staff will stay. Right. And happy employees equals happy customers. Totally. Everybody's attitude is better. Everybody's in better spirits. Everybody's in a better (laughs) mood. Like it just makes for a more pleasurable environment. Like people are going to want to come back, you know? Exactly. Um, I think that's a that's a good segue though into into talking about I wanted to I I wanted to ask you a little bit about how you kind of came to uh you know work in, in this field and how you kind of got interested and passionate about you know mixology and and, and bartending and everything that you've done. Well, okay, so <laughs> um I my first uh legal like like on the books job was scooping ice cream. And it was uh, an addendum to another restaurant that was like a fried chicken joint in my hometown. And the ice cream shop only lasted one summer because uh, it was just kind of off the beaten path. There was already a couple other ice cream shops in town and they didn't want to let me go. I was like a freshman in high school. So I started working at the, the wing joint and it was a college town. I grew up in Durham, New Hampshire. It was UNH. Um, it was kind of a party restaurant, like it's college kids coming to get like 50 wings and three pitchers of beer with their buddies to like watch the hockey game. Right. Right. So I kind of fell into slightly bartending before it was before I really could. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I did that all through high school, just kind of like cracking beers, uh, and serving wings. And it just, it, I, I mean, I didn't like love it, but I didn't hate it either. Um, and then went to school and just knew I went to school in New York city. I worked retail for a little while and was absolutely miserable, um, uh, because there's really no outlet for creativity there. Right. I don't want to bold for board fold shirts all day. I would rather, you know, be able to like talk to people and, and, be passionate about something that I'm putting out in the world, you know? Yeah. So I went back to uh, just waitressing and eventually just got, I got trained on the bar, um, ended up like really, really liking the environment. Um, and I, I liked, I grew up cooking. Uh, my parents were really big cooks. And so I really liked to cook too. Um, and I kind of related that to like learning how to make different cocktails. So it just kind of snowballed from there and just grew and grew and grew as like an interest and turned into a passion and like a career, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, I think the environment of, you know, I, I think it's funny cause you can, you can think about a sports bar, like you just described where people are coming in with a bunch of buddies and it's loud and rowdy and people are just getting pictures of beer and wings and like being kind of obnoxious or doing whatever, watching a game on TV or whatever. But there's plenty of other time, times where I can think of the the bar and the environment between patrons and bartenders, especially in, in 
smaller local places where there's a lot of regulars and there's a lot of people from mm -hmm. the community and kind of like, you know, townie bars and stuff like that. Yeah. Like I would, I would compare the relationship between like bartender and patron very similar to like in a, in a barbershop or a hair salon where yes. there's that, that like it's therapy in, in a way that it's the, the, the drinks are only the, only the catalyst for whatever the relationship and the communication that's going on is. Yeah. I mean, the drinks are like the reason to be there. And then, but like, that's like the base reason. And then there's just so much more to benefit from after that. Like you said, with community, I have been fortunate to make so many relationships with coworkers, with previous regulars that have like continued to come visit me at multiple different bars as I've moved throughout my career so far. Um, and I wouldn't have that if I had stuck in retail. So yeah, yeah, I'm for definitely sure. thankful for that. And it's probably, I mean, aside from the creativity of like, of, of mixing cocktails and making food and whatnot, um, the community and meeting people and the socialization is definitely the most rewarding part. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I hope that, I hope that it's something too that, uh, well, and I think it is something too that like people have it come to be a little bit more aware of because of the pandemic too. And like yeah. realizing that that's missing, like missing that element from their life and being like, Oh Whoa, yeah. I think like, a lot of that. <laughs> I know I did <laughs> from both ends too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh you were you talked a little bit before about um like kind of the food and beverage community in providence and providence is a really neat city for it's definitely like a foodie city and a drink city <laughs> for sure um and uh and i know uh my experience with it has only been like extremely brief do you want to talk a little bit about about what it's been like down there since you've been down there and and uh, i mean i know i know you kind of weren't there for too long before the pandemic started right like maybe about a year or um let's see so i started i moved here fall of 2018 um i started right. bartending in providence specifically that winter so yeah i i really i had like about maybe 15 months is that right no sounds it sounds it about like a year and a half yeah, yeah like a year and a half yeah yeah like a year and a half uh, and then, and then the whole last year, man, it's just like <laughs> all blurred uh, together. It's like hard to think about it, but I, I really didn't work for like a year. I mean, I, I didn't work at all for five months. Yeah, I got laid off like everybody else in March yeah. of last year. And then, uh, was welcomed to the tiny bar team in the fall and was able to work through the fall with them. But then winter came and we're all outdoors. Right. Uh, plus COVID was still pretty rampant, especially in Rhode Island. So we closed um, for a couple months and then had to deal with winter and tents. Um, so I, I'm really just getting back to work now that the yeah. weather is. But um, to go back to like the Providence scene, it's wonderful. I have met so, so, so many people and I've learned a lot since I've been here. Um, it's like, it's cool. I like it here a lot more than I thought I would. And I don't think I really realized how, how good the, the 
food and beverage scene was here before I moved. And I'm only from New Hampshire, right? but uh, yeah. really know anything about Providence and yeah. super fun. I grew up like, um, you know, going down there and hanging out there a lot, but you know, because I was a kid, it was really just like to go to a concert or like to go, you know, hang out at a friend's house or whatever. Like we weren't really old enough to go out um, at the time, but I've always like been connected to it through family and through friends and stuff like that. And um, it's always been every time I've been there since like now as an adult, like every, almost every place I've gone to, I feel like has been awesome. Um, probably yeah. like five or six different bars that I can't remember all the names of, but have, have been really cool in their own right. You know? Yeah. I mean, Providence is like, there's so many places here. It, I, I wonder actually how long it would take you to visit every, every place in the city, maybe not every place, but my list, but my yeah. list would be very, very long. <laughs> well, uh, uh, what about like a top, would you like, could you do like a top five? A top five. Yeah, like if you were going to recommend right now for somebody to come down to Providence, what would you like your top five be? For like food or cocktails or both. What I, That's the both. thing is like there's something for everybody in Providence. Uh, you know, if you want something casual, if you want something really fancy, if you want to just get a cocktail or if you're not really interested in cocktails and you just want food, there's amazing food here too. Um, I guess... So for cocktail list, I um, I would definitely have to go with the Avery. It's probably my number one because it's the first bar that I ever went to in Providence um, when I moved here. And it's right near my house. I love their people. I love their program. The environment in there is just magical. It's super cool. Um, second, probably the Eddie. Um, what other places do I love? The cat's going nuts over there. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't plug Tiny Bar in there because I, I work there, but I didn't write the menu, so I can uh, I can say that it's really good. So those are all like great cocktail places. If you want like really cool bar environment, Scurvy Dog always. Um, the Scurvy Dog. The Scurvy Dog. Okay, cool. I gotta check that um, out. It's too. like the towny punk bar they have outdoor shows in their parking lot it's like right next to the highway like dark a little grungy like but they're fun and it's a good place to get a beer um what are some of my other favorite places i mean that's a pretty good list so far i'll, I'll throw a few more out there as they come to me <laughs> i always love the the places that are like what you just described towny casual dive yeah unsuspecting is the vibe yeah but that has like bomb food or like really good drinks or like something about it that is really like oh you, like that like they're you know really good even yeah. even just like the places where you know you can get like the two dollar or three dollar gansett or whatever yeah. but you can still get like a nice cocktail if you want it you know what i mean yeah. like they 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 don't disappoint on any front i mean one of those places would actually be i think all around one of the great places because scurvy dog is like you know it's beer in a shot one liquor drinks they don't have food they might have like bags of chips or something but that's like fun but uh the slow road i don't know if you've heard of that place but it's also in the west end um they have really small menu 
but it's awesome. It's local, curated, affordable. They have everything from like snacks, sandwiches, and like a couple main courses. And you can get like, I think you can get like a $3 Gansett or you can get a really nice cocktail with like yeah. good quality ingredients. Yeah. Those places so are. That's definitely another favorite. Yeah. Nice. Those places, those places are, are always my, the, what I find the most enjoyable or like the most satisfying to be in, you know? Yeah. Um, just a place where like you can like hang out and not, it's like, it has something to offer for everybody, but it's not like, it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's not pretentious or anything like that, but like you can, you have a spectrum, right? Like you can yes. get, you know, so I I'm always, I, I'm always super down for those places. Um, I feel like drinking like, like cocktails and, 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 and alcohol and, and food also are like huge factors in talking about like, the way everyone's dealt with this pandemic sort of internally too like the this thing's this thing happened we all got laid off from our jobs or we all started working from home or we all found ourselves inside all the time when this thing started and it it seems like you know what was the natural first thing that everybody started to turn to it was like cooking and and making like drinking and eating <laughs> like yeah. you know because that's what you do like our <laughs> our, our our human nature is like when you're happy you drink and eat when you're sad you drink and eat like it's it is the like comfort for all things you know um and uh and i know like we have a group of friends that started this um uh hey good looking what you cooking yes like facebook group right so we're all like sharing recipes and like stuff like that um and uh and it's it's been really cool like i've learned a whole bunch of stuff in the past year uh just about like little things like how to make some random stuff that i didn't really ever make before i don't you know everybody was on there were fads right like there were trends like everybody was on like <laughs> banana bread or like oh i learned coffee to... or like whatever <laughs> like the rest of america <laughs> yeah but i I had never actually made it before. Like, I'll be perfectly honest. Like, I didn't know shit about making banana bread. I don't, it's not bread, it's cake. <laughs> like, I mean, pretty much. <laughs> um, but it's cool. It's cool. Um, and one of the things that you, like, you have done a lot with, like, baking bread, right? And English muffins, mm -hmm. bread, sourdough, stuff like that. Um, so I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about how, like, you kind of got inspired to do some of that stuff too. Yeah. Well, so I guess. I mean, I think, I don't, I, I don't know where I got the idea. It was probably from the internet right at lockdown. It was like, okay, well, what are we going to do now? I, I can't leave my house and I already love to cook. Like what, what should I do? And I decided to like learn how to make sourdough bread. And I was really, really intimidated at first. I had no idea how the start, like how to make a starter or how like, you really have to like, in order to do it right, you have to weigh out all your ingredients. I had never used a kitchen scale before. Um, truth be told, I don't really measure that many things in general. I usually just, when you're cooking, you kind of have the freedom to kind of just eyeball things and like do what right. feels right. But when it comes to baking, it's much more of a science. And you know, if you put too much baking powder in something, it's not gonna cook right. Uh, so you have to measure it out. And it was just a, a, a science that I had never ventured into yet. So I actually hit up uh, my friend Cheryl Kelly 
because she had been making sourdough for years and she coached me through the whole thing via uh, Facebook messenger and like told me how to do it. She actually ended up sending me to King Arthur baking and uh, they have a help hotline on their website that you can, if you are learning how to, if you're trying to bake bread or make anything really, you can call them and they'll connect you to one of their bakers and, and you can talk to a real person and they'll help you do whatever you're struggling with. That's fucking rad though. That's so, so that, cool. That helped a lot. And I, I definitely gained some weight right at the beginning of quarantine. Cause I was eating all of my mistakes and the bread was not that good in the beginning, but then I kind of got the hang of it and I started feeling more comfortable with like, with doing it every week. And Derek challenged me to make bread every day for a week. So I did that. And after that, I think I, I definitely like hit a new level and was just like, okay, that's a pretty, that's a pretty steep challenge. Big bread every day for a week. It was like hitting (laughs) up neighbors and friends being like, can I give you bread? Like I can't do with all of this bread. And they were happy to take it. So it worked out. Uh, but after I did that, I felt a little bit more comfortable venturing out and trying other things. And like, I learned how to make English muffins and I did an Adama bread. I learned how to make challah, which I like nailed on the first shot and was very proud of. Um, All right. Well, you're going to have to make more of that. And I will. Let, me, let me try some because I fucking love challah. And challah French is, toast. It is not a bread that I ever get to have like I've had it maybe three times in my entire life and it's so good and it's so good yeah that's that's I'll make you stuff (laughs) (laughs) my mom's side of the family is Italian my my grandmother when I was growing up lived with us uh, for most of the year usually um she was she was with us a lot and 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 we were definitely a family like you mentioned before like your parents loving to cook and stuff like that like we we were a family that had a very specific like relationship with food and and with eating and and, and with each other over food like it, it it's a i don't want to get weird and be like it's a spiritual experience but like it's something yeah. but it's something that's on a deeper level right like food mm-hmm. being not only like a comfort when you're sad or when or when you're happy or when whatever but like just being um a a, a central point in like a family's relationship or relationships between people or like friends or whatever. Um, and so it was completely second nature to me to be like when this pandemic started to like immediately turn to food and and food as like an answer for, for things, yeah. you know? And I, I just think it's interesting to talk about it. Like, I just love talking about how it's affected different people and how they've, uh, learned more about it or like gotten more into it or like what it's meant to them throughout their lives you know bread is like one of those things that's the it's like a staple too right like it's just like yes oldest food there is this is what like kept people alive in like the the middle ages and like you know sometimes all you could afford what was bread if you were a peasant you could get bread and if you were really lucky you could get a little block of cheese and that was like your sustenance for your whole family for the week. Yeah. So it's definitely really important. I was I was thinking about what you said before too, like about the uh, the recipes, like my my grandmother was notorious for that. Like the uh, everything that she ever wrote down as a recipe was like by feel, like by yeah. how it, like everything was Look like- Look at it, 
just do what feels right. There was always that element to it, like that human element where it's like you make it what it is just mm -hmm. because of the way you 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 make it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, as I've gotten older, especially over the last year, I've started writing down what if you know if I like if I make something for dinner and it comes out really really good I'll like sit down after and like think okay what exactly did you do and I will just make educated guesses if I don't know on like how much I, I did so that I can like try to replicate it again um but one of my favorite things to do when I'm like when I'm like okay I want to I want to make this specific dish I will go onto the internet and look up a bunch of different recipes and kind of like Frankenstein them together in my own way and just create my own version of it. If that makes any sense. No, it makes total sense. I've done it a bunch of times. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I do all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't like, I don't want to follow just one straight recipe. I want to look at a bunch of different ones and pick with which parts sound the best and then just like, you know, mesh it all together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for me personally too, I I've been vegetarian for the last few years, so I've had a whole, uh, whole experience like, and, and I find it, I find it really fun. Like a lot of people are like, well, why, why, uh, try to take something that had meat has meat in it and make that same thing, like just make something different. But I love taking traditional recipes and like, just adapting them to be vegetarian or sometimes yeah, sometimes adapting them to be completely vegan like not even using dairy too like uh just just because like i i just enjoy it i enjoy like let's take this thing like chicken marsala that everybody loves that's a staple kind of like classic food and just like make yeah. it vegetarian like what what different stuff can i do like um it's yeah. awesome <laughs> i mean like there's something there's something to be said too for the amount of um vegan and vegetarian substitutes that are available now yeah. uh pretty widely like i mean i think it used to be a little bit harder i i stopped eating meat when i was 13 and i was vegetarian for six years and then started eating fish again so i've been pescatarian for 11 years now um and i remember being a teenager and even in like my early twenties, kind of being limited to just like a very small certain number of things that I could use for like, you know, I could go get my veggie chicken nuggets and my veggie burgers if I wanted to. But like, I didn't know what tempeh was. I didn't know what seitan was then. And I'm sure it was a thing, but it just wasn't knowledge that was like readily available to me. Right. So now I'm like, I follow all of these like vegan food blogs that use like oyster mushrooms to make like vegan pulled pork and mm -hmm. it's mind blowing and it's exciting. And it, I'm of the same way. I love changing like classic meat recipes into like a vegan or vegetarian version. Yeah. Yeah. It's so and good. Well, and being like, yeah, isn't that good? <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the barbecue jackfruit blows my mind too. Like how it's like super it's so much like pulled pork. Like it's like that yeah. same stringy consistency. And I'm not, it's not like, I'm not a person that like, I never really liked meat anyway, even when I was eating it, like I didn't care for it. I was like, I, I, I'm like a starch fiend. I just love like pasta and potatoes and like <laughs> anything that's like starchy, like, like carbs, like that's just like when bread and, and like, that's what I love, you know, rice, and butter, <laughs> rice, couscous. 
pasta, whatever. But, um, but like, so I'm not chasing after, I'm not like that person that's like chasing after a perfect substitute for meat. I don't care about that, but I think it's cool because it's like, Hey, maybe it'll help entice more people out there to like move away from a meat diet and move more into a plant-based diet if you have yeah. lots of stuff that tastes very similar and is still as satisfying to eat for them for whatever reason you know um There's i mean i'm fine with like diced tofu replacing almost any meat in a in a in a, a meal but like if it helps bring more people on board hey not a bad thing you know that's like kind of my approach to it <laughs> yeah it's it's just uh it's just something that like people connect with that I very much I do consider it an art. I I think food and beverage Absolutely. as much as much as they are a science too, like they're an art, and they're a really important art through all of this. And I I uh, I am I'm happy to cover this subject on the podcast and talk about this because it's uh, something I kind of didn't think about until kind of recently, you know, yeah. to really dive into it. Well, it's definitely a form of self expression. Um, and you know, you can really go down any route you want to with it. I, when I was still living in New Hampshire, I had the privilege of working at stages, um, at one Washington for several years, um, mostly doing catering, but the chef and uh, owner operator of the place is a man named Evan Hennessy, who is a James Beard nominated chef, um, and, and a chopped winner, <laughs> And oh, nice. able, yeah, he's, he's fantastic and really down to earth, um, smart guy. And he's from the seacoast and he turned his passion of the outdoors and cooking and, and kind of brought them together. And most of the plates that they, um, put out there are foraged locally from, you know, he goes down to the beach in rye and forages seaweeds to use for broth. And he'll go hiking with his dog and find mushrooms and all sorts of different things that he can put towards his dishes. And that was really, really inspiring for me and probably played a big part in what made me want to continue uh, down, down a more elevated path as far as like food and beverage goes. Yeah. Because I started working for him when I was 22. So I was really new to bartending. I was working at kind of a sports bar at the time and I got this job uh, catering weddings and was able to see firsthand all of this work that he puts into just it, a plate that has like one bite on it. Uh, and it's, it's absolutely art. Yeah, it's definitely art. And he, and, and it was inspiring because that's what he loves to do. Yeah. It's, 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 it's so enjoyable to watch people do what they love, mm -hmm. you know, in any field, like whether it's music or it's painting or it's whatever. Um, but I think food and cooking has probably always been one of my favorites. And it, it's also probably again, because of the way I grew up and like watching my yeah. grandmother and my uncle and my, and my mom and my aunts, like connect with food in, in a really, a special way. That's like more than just, you know, cooking something to eat it. Like there's something else there, you know? Well, it's a big part of a lot of different cultures is the food. Yeah. I remember some of the, what every once in a while when I would work some type of an event that was actually catered by a guy like that, like a real actual, someone who cares about what they do and like is an independent catering company or an independent yeah. uh, catering service that like puts 
their effort and their heart and soul into it. And like, it doesn't matter that if it's only one bite on the plate, that's all you need to like yeah. <laughs> taste the Well, there's just so many components that go into that one bite and so much love from the person who put it together that it makes it taste better. Yeah. You can tell. For sure. You can totally tell. You can, you can totally tell. And, um, and there definitely were moments where I was like, like, okay, this is like, this is a treat that we're getting fed on this event, you know, versus like getting fed on it when you're working at a Marriott <laughs> and, they're, and they like set you up at a vendor table in the back and, they, <laughs> and, and like you get your 30 minutes to eat your meal and it's just like, oh, slop. <laughs> butter. <laughs> yeah, it's just butter. It's, it's all it is. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to throw another curve ball at you too much, but I was hoping I could ask you maybe if we swing back to, to talking about mixology a little bit, sure. like your top three favorite cocktails to make. Like if somebody came in to any establishment where you were working and was like, make me your favorite things, like make me what something, one of your favorite things to make, like something that you enjoy, something that you enjoy making, what would like your top three be? Top three. So I guess if we're barring any sort of like house cocktail, like something that's specific, we're talking about just classics. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Classic. That's one, yeah, classics. Number one would absolutely be a sidecar. Um, number two uh, would probably be Negronis and like variations on Negronis. I'm a huge fan of Mezcal Negronis. I had one when we had drinks the other night. I yeah. Think I, but also, you know, Boulevardier, any sort of Negroni variation um, is exciting for me because there are just like so many different things you can do for like what one would think is a pretty basic cocktail. Right. Um, number three, daiquiris. Because again, that's another one that you can really just kind of uh switch things out and make variations on it uh to like cater it to a person yeah uh, so yeah sidecar is my tried and true how uh, do you how do you make a sidecar what's your do you have like a uh, twist a little twist on it that you do or is it just like what's the what's your go-to recipe for a classic sidecar i don't even know if i've had a sidecar before <laughs> uh so it's a cognac cocktail you can also use brandy um if you're going down the classic route um, I generally, I keep it really simple. I just do like a two, one, one build, like two ounces of, um, your cognac or brandy, um, three quarter, maybe like a scant ounce of, um, orange liqueur. So, you, uh, in that case, you can use anything from like Cointreau to, if you want something more rich and sweeter, you could use Grand Marnier. I actually prefer to use dry Curacao. Um, because I don't like a lot of sweetness and I think that it balances better with the cognac and you get more of that, like, o like oaky cognac flavor. Whereas when you use the sweeter ones like Cointreau or any other sort of orange liqueur, it can kind of just like mask all of that flavor that you get from the barrel, mm -hmm. um, and lemon juice, one ounce of lemon juice. So just two, one, one, um, you can throw a little bitters in there if you're feeling spicy, um, but I think there's something to be said for, for like really simply made cocktails with, uh, uh, the right ingredients and yeah. the high quality ingredients. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and for like, so for a daiquiri, are you talking, do you do, so I don't think I've ever had a daiquiri that's not 
a like a frozen daiquiri, like a yeah. like a poolside outdoor summer yeah, kind of that, thing. But that's not what I'm talking. You're talking about, about a sh- like a shaken daiquiri. No, I'm so I'm talking about a classic daiquiri. Yeah. Which, almost the same, uh, but instead of you're gonna, it, I would actually generally do about the same build, like a two one one. So you would have like two ounces of your rum, whatever rum of your choice, um, uh, maybe a scant ounce of lime juice and like, actually not, not two, one, one, like two, one half, and then half an ounce of simple syrup. So you've got your base spirit, your citrus and your sugar. Okay. Gotcha. And I, and, and bitters. I generally add, add bitters in my daiquiris too. Well, you're going to have to make me one of those uh, next time we hang out because that sounds delicious. You really have turned me, like enticed me into the uh, the Mezcal Negronis though. Like the next time we hang out, I'm definitely getting one oh, of those because I, I, uh, I have ventured into Mezcal a little bit myself. Um, but uh, besides just trying Mezcal by itself, I've only tried a Mezcal Margarita, which I, it was okay, but like. I expect a certain thing with a margarita with tequila. And I feel like yeah. when I had the mezcal one, I was like, Meh, I don't it know. Really <laughs> mezcal has such a spectrum too. It's like in the way I look at it is that it's similar to like scotch yeah. in, a, in a way that, that you get, you get some scotches that are like really muted um, and, and drinkable. And some of them like really punch you in the face with that peat. So with mezcals, it's kind of the same way. You're going to have more mild mezcals uh, that are good, that I would say are good for mixing. And then you're going to have some mezcals that are just so smoky and overpowering for any other ingredient that it's, yeah. it makes sense to mix them. That's really something to be enjoyed, just sipped on, like maybe with a, with a big ice cube. Uh, but once you start adding other flavors in there, it can kind of just get, it just like becomes muddy. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty much like, just like scotch, right? Like, yeah, that, yeah. that, that, that makes stick sense. Stick with, with, uh, mez- if you want to do a mezcal, uh, margarita though, is to just ask your bartender to do half and half, like half mezcal and half like silver tequila. And then you're going to get a little bit of that smoke flavor, but it's maybe not going to overpower you so much that uh, that's what I do at least cool. when people are like, I don't know if I like mezcal and I'm like, we'll try it this way. Yeah. Yeah. Introduce yourself <laughs> yeah. to it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Introduce yourself. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for Thank having you for, me. Uh, for doing this, this episode with me. I, uh, it's been a pleasure to chat with you. You can find her serving up uh, delicious craft cocktails and, and eats at tiny bar Providence, which is uh, a cool outdoor spot. If you want to, go out and hang out in Providence. And, uh, and, and you can also, if you're, if you're lucky enough to be in the know, you can find some of her homemade baked goods, which are fantastic. The, the English muffins are, I, I don't even, I don't know. I don't have words to talk about them, but it's the best <laughs> breakfast sandwich that I've ever had on that English muffin. Um, uh, you can you can check out some some of the she, some of the stuff that she makes uh, and and uh, and some of her her uh, baked goods on her Instagram at uh, at Annalise in Wonderland. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Annalise Stetner. Uh, it's been a pleasure and uh, and have a great night, everybody. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs>